Great. Well, fantastic to be with you. Um, it's a delight for me to have Andy on the UK team and, and Dave and Jill on the UK team. Dave, where are you? Is it Dave? The big question that I have is what colour was your hair when it was long back in those <laughs> days? <laughs> Great. Well, re really lovely to be with you. Uh, Linda and myself are based in Teesside. If you don't know where that is, it's sort of uh, Middlesbrough, Stockton, Darlington, Redcar uh, sort of area. Um, so that's where we come from. We've been up there about 15, 16 years now. Before that, we were based in Manchester and leading the work in Manchester. Um, I would like to speak to you this morning on uh, living as ground-taking pioneers. Um, pioneers don't settle with what is. They're really always hungry to take new ground. Uh, the decision a number of years ago to call our sort of collection of uh, uh, churches in the northeast taking ground was really a statement that whatever we're about as churches together, we are not about settling with what is. We're grateful for what is, but we're hungry for more. We want to see God do more. We want to see the kingdom of God come more and more extensively. I think that every Christian should see themselves as a, as a pioneer that we, every Christian should always see themselves, if you like, taking ground in their personal life and walk with the Lord Jesus, growing, developing, knowing him more, always taking ground, I believe, in our marriages and in our families. We should be pioneers insofar as we should always be looking to take more ground for Christ in our church and then more ground for Christ actually out in the world, in our workplace, in our towns, in our cities, in the places that he's called us to serve and represent him. Um, often, of course, taking ground isn't always easy. Actually, it's often a battle, and there's often a temptation to settle and to lower our expectations. Probably the book of Joshua, better than any other book, underlines the concept of taking ground with God. And so we're just going to read from chapter 23, uh, some verses from chapter 23, actually all the verses from chapter 23, and a few verses from chapter 24. It's really important to understand this context, the context. Joshua is 110 years of age when he's speaking in chapter 23 and when he's speaking from God in chapter 24. So he's walked with God and he's been about all about taking ground for the best for over a hundred years. So I reckon he's worth listening to at this point. So um, I think we've got the scriptures up here. Can you read that from the back? Oh, that's good. Um, you'll have to excuse me uh, turning away from you as I read it, because I've not got it written in my notes. So, Joshua chapter 23. Sorry? Oh, that's good. That's clever. Very good. God, there's technology down south, isn't there? That's good. So, um, after a long time had passed, and the Lord 
had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and he said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he's threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he's given you, if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. The Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. Then a few verses from chapter 24, which is more Joshua speaking from the Lord in this chapter. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So I just want to share with you from this passage uh, five principles that, uh, that I think Joshua shows us are important in living as ground-taking pioneers and not becoming settlers. So the first one 
five principles for taking ground is very simple. You have to start by being very clear on what God has promised. There's a, a verse from chapter 1 that many of you will be familiar with where God comes and clearly and precisely promises Joshua the exact boundaries of the land he's going to give him. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. And then in chapter 23, verse 4 that we've just read, he said, remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain. They're an inheritance. They're a promise, is what he's saying. One of the things that Joshua was very, very clear on, he was very clear on the land that God had promised him. He knew God had said, this is the land I want to give you. And because he was clear on what God had promised, actually there was a confidence and a tenacity and a perseverance that Joshua had because he was just very clear-sighted about what God had said he wanted to give him. And so when he faced opposition, when he faced unexpected defeat, when he faced setbacks, actually he didn't shrink back and he didn't say, well, we've come this far, maybe we'll settle here. He said, no, we're going to push through, we're going to persevere, we're going to be tenacious because God has promised this, this ground and we are going to habit. About 15 years ago uh, in our church, uh, Middlesbrough Stockton, you know, it's not a very attractive place to be really and um, anyone, young people that have got anything about them generally want to get out of the place. Um, It's not like Basingstoke where everyone wants to come to I presume. Amen. Amen, says Andy. Some time ago, we decided, actually, we needed to give our young people an adventure in our setting. And so, uh, we actually felt God speak clearly to us about that and say, I want you, I want you to start year teams up here because I'm going to use that as a vehicle to give young people an adventure here. And actually, you will train young people that want to stay here out of that year team. So God had made a clear promise, so we set things up, we went for it. The first year, we we only had three people on it, and it was an absolute disaster of a year. You know, just like two of the people never finished the year. One of them went before Christmas, another one went by Easter, and the other one, when they finished, decided they didn't want to stay around and, uh, and left. I mean, it was just a year that was just full of hard work, full of disappointment, right? But God had promised. So we had another go the next year. And you know what? It was nearly just as bad (laughs) the second year. It wasn't quite as bad, but it was nearly as bad. But we were very clear what God had said, and we were very clear what God had promised. A lot of resources had gone into two years of inve- uh, two years of investment into this year team, very little to show for it, very little encouragement out of it, but God has pro- promised we were clear on it. I want to tell you, every year we have eight to 12 young people full-time and have done for the last 10 years, right, that work amongst us, right? 
I mean, it is just such an amazing year. Do you know people come from all over Europe as well, from our churches in Europe? Europe pays us vast amounts of money to run this year team. It is just, from every point of view, just a cracking experience for young people. And it has been a real draw, not just in terms of keeping our young people, but actually bringing other young people from outside into our area. But it was only because we were clear that God had promised and said something that we were able to be tenacious and persevere through what was some incredibly discouraging first couple of years. When Linda and I first got saved, we were first-generation Christians. I got saved at 19. Linda also uh, got, got saved when she was 18. And we were first-generation Christians. We got married in our early 20s, and we felt God give us a promise. We felt God say that his love was so extravagant and so generous, it couldn't be contained by our lives, that it would flow down the generations to our children and our children's children, it would flow along the generations to our brothers and sisters, and it would flow back down the generations to our parents, none of whom were saved. None of whom were saved. My father died in October last year. You know, quite sudden, well, over about a week period of time. 39 years I prayed with my father on the back of that promise he gave us about the extravagance of his love flowing down, along, and back. 39 years. Probably four to five days a week for 39 years. And I never saw a crack in my father. The only thing my father ever gave me, my father spent his life angry with me that I'd become a Christian. And even more angry with me that I'd been a medical doctor and I'd given it up to become a church pastor, which, and it, which is something he couldn't think was more of a waste of time and all that experience and all that money spent on training me. He always reminded me of that. He spent his whole life angry. Two days before his death, I was at the lowest point I could be in terms of faith that my father would get saved because there was nothing. And I was in a car driving along just very discouraged. Suddenly, suddenly I had a most unique experience. I'd never had it before in life. I went into tongues, praying in tongues for my father, and suddenly I moved, not just from desperately praying God would save him, but I suddenly went into, oh my goodness, God, you're going to save him. You are. You promised it's going to happen. And then I moved from that. It's done. It's done. It was a most remarkable experience. Exactly the same time, exactly the same time, totally unbeknown to me, my daughter was leading my father miraculously through to faith in his hospital bed. <laughs> 39 years of believing that God would give us land. And then six weeks later, my mother gave her life to the Lord. <laughs> Our children all serve the Lord. They've married, partner, you know, husbands and wives all serve the Lord, and they're bringing their kids up knowing the Lord. And, you know, and now some of our brothers and sisters know the Lord. It's too long a story to go into all of that. But the point that I'm making is that God promises us things, and it he promises us ground that he wants us to believe for in his name and to look to him for. 
And we have to be clear on what is promised us so that we can be tenacious and we can persevere in what will at times be some very severe spiritual battle and opposition. What ground has God promised you? Where has, has, have you lost confidence or tenacity because you've lost sight of what God has promised? Where do you need to go back afresh to what God has said? You know, a little while ago, I was, um, I was struggling a bit. You know, I was struggling with some anxiety. I was struggling with a few difficulties. I was a bit discouraged about things. And I just read in my daily reading from, um, from 1 Peter 1, actually it's also in 2 Peter 1 as well, where, where Peter says, you know, talks about them having abundance of grace and peace. You know, and, and I just said, God, you didn't promise us the scrag ends of grace and peace. You promised us abundant grace and peace. I'm not living in this ground there's more ground for me to have. I'm going to believe you. It's abundant grace and peace that's my portion and my inheritance. And I'm, I believe that. I pray for it every day and, and then just found myself coming into a new season of just fresh grace and peace. Where do you know, need to go back to God afresh about what he has said? And in a sense, sharpen it up afresh so that you may persevere and be tenacious in taking the ground he wants you to take. Second principle is inevitably be very strong and courageous. Of course, again, in chapter 1, you're familiar four times Joshua hears in this context of here's ground for you to take. Four times he hears, but Joshua, be, be strong and be very courageous. And then, of course, in uh, Joshua chapter 23, where he's just about to depart, and he's, in a sense, commissioning them and calling them up to something, that same phrase, phrase is there again to, to God's people. Whatever you do as you go forward to take more ground that God's got for you, you've got to be strong, and you've got to be courageous. Fear keeps you out of the land, but faith, courageous faith, takes you in. Of course, Numbers 13, Hebrews 4, we are very clear that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because actually they weren't filled with faith, they weren't strong and courageous on the back of what God had said, they were fearful and fear kept them out of the land. But courage and faith, which is what lived in Caleb and J Joshua, was ultimately what took them in to the land that God had promised them. We had uh, a number of years uh, struggling to conceive children. Actually, it ended up being six years. Um, and uh, we, were, we were under the hospital for, for infertility. And I went to Uganda. Actually, I went to Uganda with Dave Richards, uh, in the late, it was about 1990, 1989, 1990 we went together. And um, when I was out in Uganda, I was preaching to a bunch of pastors out there 
And right in the middle of me speaking, God spoke to me and said, your wife Linda is going to be pregnant in six months' time. There's a, there's a whole stack of things that were said around that, but God really spoke to me. He spoke about unforgiveness towards myself and, and said I was in prison, but in six months, if, if I forgave myself, it would unlock a situation, and in six months' time, Linda would be pregnant. Anyway, so I believed God. God had spoken. Um, I worked as a doctor at the hospital where we were being treated. So the, the consultant there was not only a consultant to us, he was actually a sort of um, a colleague. But I felt God say that when I went back, I needed to tell the consultant that we were going to stop the treatment, and I felt him say to tell the consultant that God had told me we were going to be pregnant in six months' time. Right, now... I, was, I really wasn't looking forward to doing that, <laughs> understand? You know, I, I did it. I said to him, we're stopping all treatment. God spoke to me. You know I'm a committed Christian. Yeah, he said, but I said, well, God spoke to me. Why was that you going to, going to be pregnant six months' time? I mean, he didn't know where to look, <laughs> right? I mean, I didn't know where to look. I, 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 I thought what I was saying was really stupid, <laughs> you know. Um, and actually, from that day on, Whenever we walked past one another in the corridor, he, pre he pretended not to see me. <laughs> well, Linda wasn't pregnant four months later, five months later. She wasn't pregnant six, seven months later. Exactly six months later, Linda conceived. Conceived our son, Joshua, who we named Joshua because it means God's strength, because we know he came into being, not by my manhood or fatherhood, but by God's power and strength. But the point that I'm making is, is, you know, would Linda have got pregnant six months' time if I hadn't gone and spoken to that consultant? I'm not saying it hung on that at all. I think she would have done. But I knew that if I was going to be, live my life and be a ground-taking pioneer, I had to be courageous and strong on the back of knowing what God had said. We were at, um, about six months ago, we had a taking ground sort of prayer and fasting couple of days with all the leaders. And in the middle of this, we were taking communion. And, uh, and I, um, in the middle of communion, everyone had gone up once. We, it was a reflective sort of time. I felt God say to me, right, I want you to go and take the bread and wine again. Well, I felt a bit embarrassed just going and taking the bread. I mean, I, you know, but I did. I went and took the bread and wine, and I sat down. I'd taken it twice. And then I'm sat there, and I felt God say to me, go and take it again, <laughs> right? Now, but I felt God say to me, I want you to take massive piece of bread, like nearly half the loaf, and eat it. <laughs> well, it's a prayer and fasting day. <laughs> Do, do you understand? So I'm sat there thinking, these guys are going to think. You understand? I mean, I'm just thinking, they're just going to think I'm just stuffing my face because I'm hungry. And I, honestly, I, it was a tussle. 
please, I've been up twice. This is embarrassing going up a third time and taking this big bit of bread. And, Can you let me say something to people and explain it? No, said the Lord, just do it. <laughs> so, so I did it. I felt very embarrassed, very awkward. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have done, but I did. Anyway, I did it and I sat down. Then afterwards I said to God, what was all that about? And I just felt God say two things. One, I just felt he, he said to me, I, I, if you're going to be a ground-taking pioneer, he didn't actually say that, but I'm adding that in because it helps the sermon message. <laughs> um, no, I just felt God say, if, if, you, if you're going to be what I want you to be, you've got to have an insatiable appetite for me. And the second thing I felt God say was, if you live in fear of men, you will never be able to be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. Fear keeps us out, but faith, courageous faith, takes us in. You can't take new ground without being strong and courageous, without taking risks. Uh, here's the question this morning. Where, where have you given way to fear? And I can give you a long list of plate where areas I've given way to fear, so I'm not pitching this out at you. I've had this pitched by God to me, so... Um, you know, where have you given way to fear? And where do you need to renew your, your strength and your courage? Because, you know, strength and courage is what sees ground taken, but fear is actually what sees ground lost. Uh, third thing, uh, don't compromise on obedience. Do it as God says few verses again, Joshua 23, verse 12 and 13. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Oops. Yeah, and sorry, I, I skipped a slide. And Joshua 23, 6 and 7, be very strong, be careful to obey all that's written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. Um, Obedience is associated with taking ground, but disobedience and compromise is associated with losing ground and perishing from the land. That's what the scripture tells us. And actually, we see that through scripture. So in Joshua chapter 7, you see that Achan's sin, where in a sense he took some of the things that should have been belonged to God, ended up uh, causing the, the Jewish nation to be defeated at Ai. You know, they lost ground because there was disobedience. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses uh, was struck the rock when God told him to speak to the rock and he didn't take the ground and was, wasn't involved in going into the promised land. But we also say when we do it, see, when we do it God's way, as ridiculous as it seems, if we're obedient to do it the way he says then amazing ground can be taken. So, you know, the Jordan was in flood, but God spoke to them about walking through it. Ridiculous, but they did. Or Jericho was an incredibly tightly shut up city, but God said, walk around it. 
you know, walk around it for seven days, seven times on the last day and blow trumpets. Ridiculous. But no, Lord, we're going to obey you because obedience is associated with taking ground. So they obeyed him and took ground. In November 2016, a woman in our church called Elaine Ely gave me a prophetic word. And the prophetic word was, I see a set of scales and um, there's one, there's, they're, they're tilted one way, but if, if a small weight is moved off of one side, they will tip the other way and you will know a new level of grace and anointing. The moment I was given that prophetic word, I knew exactly what the thing was that I needed to change in my life. But I didn't want to change it. So I ignored it. I still kept it in my folder. You know, it didn't go in the bin. I kept it in my uh, folder. It was on my... But, but I ignored it. And then on September the 12th, 2017, so it's not far short of a year later, I woke up in the middle of the night absolutely sobbing uncontrollably. I mean, it was just an encounter, you know, in my sleep with God. And actually, I was just under massive conviction that I had been not done what God had told me to do. And, and I, I changed it on that day. And uh, guess what? Just a new level of grace and a new level of anointing just came in immediately. And of course, what was my conclusion? My conclusion was, how dumb am I? Why didn't I just do it back in September 2016? My ability to lead our church, Tees Valley Community Church, or the Taking Ground Network, is not primarily about my gifting or my performance. It's actually about my personal obedience and my holiness behind the scenes, not in public. That's in a sense, my leadership will rise and fall on that, yeah. not on anything yeah. that I do publicly or perform. If we want to take ground, we have to respond to what God is saying and we have to do it as God says. Where do you need to go back to what God has said and obey with a fresh sense of commitment? Where are you compromising what you know God has called you to do? and be. We all do it. I've confessed to it. You can go and confess yours after the meeting to someone. Okay. So don't compromise on obedience. Um, I'm pointing. Now, that's good. Okay. So number four, expect God to fight for you. Here's some verses. 23 verse 9. Joshua says, to this day, no one's been able to withstand you. 23 verse 10, one of you routes a thousand. 23 9, great and powerful nations are driven out before you. Chapter 1 verse 3, every place where you set your foot is given to you. Why? 23 verse 10, because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. Um, 
1980, um, I was at Manchester Medical School, not a Christian, and I moved into a house with four other students, and one of them was a Christian. I didn't like Christians. My dad never liked Christians, and he imparted that to me, and I didn't like Christians. I made, I made this guy's life between the beginning of term and mid-November, I made his life absolute misery because I, I, I just I wanted him out of the house. He was a Christian. He didn't fit with my lifestyle. My drinking, smoking, drugs, partying lifestyle didn't fit with it. I felt bad every time he was about, and I didn't want to feel bad. So I made his life miserable. It was so... It was so bad for him in the house because of me that he went home to his home church, which was Sutton Coldfield Baptist Church, and he said to his church leader, I've got to move out of this house because I will not survive a year with this guy, Martin. His very wise pastor said to him, we think God's placed you there. <laughs> we... We think you need to go back and we think you need to trust God to fight for you in that house. And he did exactly that. He came back to the house. Three weeks after he came back, I turned around to him one Sunday morning and said to him, can I come to church with you? And I went to a church. I don't know if any of you know Mike Beaumont. It was Mike Beaumont's church, Sale Baptist Church in Manchester, and uh, a week or so after that, in my room, by myself, 23rd November 1980, I got just powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't even know what was going on, radically saved, everything turned around. Because, because someone came back into the lion's den, yeah, believing that God would fight for them, yes. even if they hadn't, didn't have the strength to withstand yes. what was coming their way by themselves. In 2009, um, I went, you know, every leader has to go through his crisis time. You understand that? I mean, you're not a proper leader unless you've had a crisis time. So my, mine was 2009. I had this great team in Teesside, and somehow I lost it. I lost the team, you know? People didn't like working with me, and they left and it was a pretty catastrophic time for two years. I, 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 when I first went up there, I was known as the sort of night leader who had the dream team. Then for the next few years, I was known as the sort of night leader who lost the dream team. <laughs> so anyway, the point was that it was a very difficult two years. I got, I got depressed during that time. I was on medication. I, you know, it was just hard work getting out a bed every morning, those of you that have been there know all that. I mean, I, I absolutely felt I was finished as a leader. I really did. And then one day, weekend, we had a visit from Barney. And uh, Barney Coombs, I'm sure many of you, some of you here know him. And I just remember what Barney said to me. He said, Martin, God hasn't left you. Because I tell you, 
every voice that was coming into my head was telling me this was the fruit of God having left me. I remember he said to me, Martin, God hasn't left you. He put his arm around me, as only Barney can, put his arm around me and said, God hasn't left you. God will fight for you. Don't fight for yourself. Don't defend yourself. God will fight for you. And actually, it really encouraged me, you know. Oh, I don't have to fight out my own strength because I haven't really got much left at this time. God will fight for me. And, and God did. I mean, I absolutely pinch myself now when I see the team that we have and I see what's, what God is doing in the church. I mean, it just, it's surpassed, surpassing, you know, all my dreams and expectations. And I, I often think back to that point when Barney did that. And I think wherever we are at and wherever, wherever I am at as a leader, it's not because of my own strength or ability or my own bow or sword. It's because God has set his heart to fight for me. As he sets his heart to fight for all his people, as he sets his heart to fight for you. Where do you need reminding that you do not need to do it in your own strength, that God himself has promised he will fight for you. And if you try and do it in your own strength, you're really saying, God, I don't believe your promise. Actually, God, I think I can do it better than you. When we give up and we say, God, you've got to do this, it's your strength, it's your power, then God comes in and does immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And then finally, the final, expect God to give you land. The basis of our expectation is very simple, isn't it? It's that God who promises land is a God who is faithful to his word, a God who fulfills his promises. And so we read in these verses 23, 5, the Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. 24.13, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And then this absolutely extraordinary verse in chapter 23 where, you know, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed, not one. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. Now I bet if he asked the question, how many of those promises were fulfilled exactly the way we thought in our mind's eye they were going to be fulfilled, he'd have a whole list of ones that weren't. But God was faithful to his word. Every promise God has made has been fulfilled. An extraordinary verse from someone that's 110 years of walking with the Lord. In 2012-2013, actually we had a very successful conference in Centre up in Teesside. Some of you that have visited our place, you know, it was, it was the best conference centre in the sort of whole sort of Teesside region. It was used, it was very successful. 
and uh, actually we hit some difficulties. The long and short of it was that everything went down, everything went down the tube. And actually I had to make s seven people redundant. Now if you've ever been involved in making people redundant, it's not easy. And if you think it gets easy with Christians because they're in the church and everyone will think nice things of one another, <laughs> that doesn't work either. <laughs> Some of the time it does, but not all of the time. So it was a difficult time. Uh, again, a very difficult time. But as we came to the end of that time, a, a prophetic guy called Neville Wright that works with us walk, was walking around our site and he said, God has given me a, an amazing vision of a busy train station. And he said, and I see people coming in from all sorts of places on trains and they're getting off at the platform and they're doing something and then get back, back on their trains. It's, it's really busy, this place. It's a busy train station. And then he felt God say, it's, a, it's actually... It's a training station. This will be a place that trains people. And many people will come in. And many of those people that were coming in were getting, getting saved and meeting the Lord on their journeys. So we believed that. Because God had spoken. You know, we prayed about it. We had witness in our spirit that God was speaking. We embarked on, on a... We embarked on a journey of becoming a recognised government training um, company. I won't bore you with the details, but I want to tell you, it's, it's, it was an amazingly difficult job, offsteaded countless times. Right? If you were to come into our place today, it's full of people. Full of people again especially 16 to 25s, that are unemployed and can't get work. And it's full of people that have been sentenced by the courts to do community service. And they're coming and doing it with us and getting educated with us at the same time. Right? And, and people's lives are being massively turned around and changed to the point where government ministers are visiting us from London because our statistics are blowing the national average statistics out of the water. So generally, when 16 to 25-year-olds go and engage for several weeks with a training provider, those that get work nationally, it's about 45% of those that go through that sort of course uh, get a job at the end of it. Well, we get 85% of our 16 to 25. And 45% is the national average that they get. But if you want to know what the Teesside national average is, it's about 22%. You know? So of those that come and do their community service, you know, people get given a number of hours by the court to serve, yeah, and they have to come and do them. Well, not everyone that gets sentenced to do 200 hours completes 200 hours, you know, like they give up and they go off. And then the courts have to get involved again. So the national average for people on community service completing their hours without it having to go back to court or some official body is 44% nationally. In Middlesbrough, it's 16%. If they come to us, they're 86% likely to complete their hours. So the government's asking questions. What is going on here? Because we want more of this. Now, 
What's the point that I'm making? The point that I'm making is this. We went through a really difficult time when we closed something down. There was lots of pain. There was lots of difficulty within the church. But God promised us he'd give us some fresh and new land. He promised us the place would be a busy train station with people coming in and getting off. And you know, this last month, 10 of those young people have been to church and four of them just this last month have got saved, let alone figures from the months before and things like that. God's changing lives. And I'll tell you what the real key is to it. I need to finish now, land in the next two minutes. Here's the real key. We care more about people than we do about money. Yeah. Right? And, 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 and it doesn't take a lot to stand out and make a difference. These 16, 25-year-olds or people on community service, they come onto our place. And when they're doing the work and the painting and the grounds maintenance, we, I go up to them and I say, can I just say thank you so much for the work you're doing here today? Well, I don't have any choice. I know you don't have any choice, but I'm still grateful that you're doing this work for us. Thank you so much. What's your name? When the people of God show the love of God and the care of God to people, it makes a massive difference. And it's the only reason our figures are up there, because the people are coming into an atmosphere they haven't encountered before, and they want to come back the next day and complete the course. Or they get motivated to go find a job that we help them to find. George Muller was a Christian evangelist, lived 1805 to 1898. God promised him some land. When he first got saved, God promised him five friends would get saved. Right, first few months, the first one got saved. After 10 years, the second and the third one got saved. After 25 years of praying every day for these guys, after 25 years, the fourth one got saved. And the fifth one got saved after 52 years of him praying daily at George Muller's funeral. God promised him land. Five lives that would be saved. And all five were even if he just saw the last one as he departed. Where do you need reminding that God will fight for you if you believe him, that he will give you land? Where do you need some fresh expectation that God will give you land? So in summary, five principles for being a ground-taking pioneer. Be clear on what God's promised. Be very strong and courageous. Don't compromise on obedience. Expect God to fight for you and expect God to give you land. It is a battle. There's lots of discouragements. There's lots of disappointments. But there's an adventure there to be had. You know, I'm nearly 40 years a Christian now. Someone said to me when I first got saved, you're just about to begin the most exciting adventure of your life. It was the truest thing anyone ever said to me. But the adventure is in going with God, not in sitting back and settling. I really pray that you individually and corporately will take up hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of you and that nothing less will satisfy you. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, God bless.